So if you are reading through the New Testament portion of the Bible, and if you start in the book of Matthew, which is the beginning of the New Testament, so it makes sense you would start there, you will see a certain phrase come up 36 times just in the book of Matthew. And that phrase is the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew's audience, primary audience that he wrote to, were mostly people of Jewish background. And one thing about the Jews is they did not like to carelessly use the name God in any way. So what Matthew often did was he substituted God for heaven. And so 31 times you'll see kingdom of heaven mentioned in Matthew, and then five times you'll see kingdom of God, but they're really interchangeable. Now, why do I bring this up? The reason I bring this up is because if you really want to fully understand who Jesus is and what he was about, one of the primary colors that you'll need to understand is this kingdom of God. Just like it'll be really hard to make a painting with only two of the three primary colors, so also you will not have a full appreciation or a full picture of Jesus without understanding the concept of what this kingdom is and what it means to be a part of it. So that's why for the next four weeks, we're going to be digging into this idea, this phrase, the kingdom of God. And by the way, throughout the entire New Testament, this comes up 99 times. This phrase, kingdom of God, 99 times throughout the entire New Testament. So what we're going to do is we're going to take one of those 99 kingdoms of God off the wall, and we're going to pass it around. And talk about it as we look at Matthew's account of Jesus. And we're going to look at the first time that Matthew talked about the kingdom of God within the context of Jesus and his ministry. And here's my hope. Here's my goal. That when you walk out these doors or when you turn off the live stream or turn off the podcast, by the time you are done with this message, you will be able to turn to the person next to you and explain to them what the kingdom of God is, and what it means to be in it. So without further ado, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 4. And here's where Matthew is just setting up this, what we call the public ministry of Jesus. He spent the first 30 or so years of his life, relatively a normal life, but then when he turned about 30, that's when he began his public ministry and let the world know who he really was. And here's how Matthew begins that section. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. So leaving Nazareth, which was down in the south part of Israel, near Jerusalem, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived up in Capernaum on the north, which was by the lake, beautiful lake city, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, which you know Zebulun and Naphtali, yeah. And here's why Zebulun and Naphtali are important, because as Matthew was speaking to this mostly Jewish background audience, those names would have rung a bell. And just to kind of help them along, Matthew says the reason this is important that Jesus moved here, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Matthew even wrote these words. And Matthew just gives them a couple of verses to refresh their memory. This is what Isaiah said. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee 
of the Gentiles. Addressing his audience, looking at this part of the world, Isaiah says, this is what will come from there. He said, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This unassuming area on the north part of Israel, nothing special. This wasn't where the kingdom was established. Jerusalem was down in the south. And yet Isaiah Isaiah pinpoints the northern area and says, here is where the light will come from. Here's where hope will be born. And then as you look at Isaiah chapter 9, it, uh, Isaiah continues to tell about what will happen here and the kind of king that would arise, not from Jerusalem, where one would expect, but from Galilee. And I'm sure Jesus, uh, Matthew's original audience, they would have connected the verses like, oh yeah, I know that part from Isaiah chapter 9. And many of them could recite these verses. And since most of us can't recite Isaiah chapter 9, I, I, I did want to add one more verse that Matthew didn't reference. Here's one more verse from Matthew 9. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his, here's the important word, kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Then it says, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. God's energy and passion is behind this. And so for centuries, the Jewish people were waiting for a king and a new kingdom to appear. Someone who would reestablish the kingdom of David, they assumed in Jerusalem, they were waiting, waiting in darkness, waiting with no hope until one day, a carpenter from Nazareth journeyed up to Galilee and made his home in Capernaum. A light had dawned. And then Matthew goes on to explain, this is what Jesus told people. Jesus, from that time on, began to preach, repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. And 35 other times in the book of Matthew, we see this phrase come up. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is among you. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can enter the kingdom of heaven. And in many ways, Jesus talks about this kingdom that he came to establish So if you really want to understand Jesus and appreciate what he was for, what he was about, you have to understand the kingdom. And here's what we just see right away. We probably wouldn't speak in these terms because when we think kingdom, we think physical boundaries with a king and a a castle. We think physical structure. But the Greek word for kingdom is more about the reigning, the oversight, the administration of a kingdom. And so as we put this all together, here's kind of the first step in understanding the kingdom of God. It's not a place, a physical location that you can look at. So what is it? Well, what Jesus wanted people to know, I'll kind of put it in my own words, and then you can disagree on better ways to do it. This is just my opinion. The best way I could carry it across is to say, God is literally here. 
And I know some you know, kids these days use literally as a word for figuratively, which to me is just so confusing. But I'm using the word literally, literally. <laughs> literally. So God is literally here. The kingdom of God, the presence of God, the reigning of God has come near. Just, just imagine that. When the kingdom of God comes into the kingdom of the world... What do you picture? Uh, a while ago, um, here in Lakeville, we were kind of desperate, or not desperate, we were lacking for good food options. There were just not a lot of restaurants, but it seems lately there have been a lot of good ones that have been popping up. And one that kind of captured the news was we got a Chipotle a few years ago. And that was a big deal. Like, oh, Chipotle's coming to town. All right, good things are happening because, you know, with Chipotle comes good things, I guess. I'm not a Chipotle fan. They're not endorsing this message. But <laughs> it was just this buzz that came through Lakeville. When someone comes to town, things change. And so much more is true. The kingdom of God. God is here. Therefore, things are going to change. But what? Maybe you could make a list. What should God change? Poverty. He should change poverty. Child abuse. Let's get rid of that. Wars. Evil empires. Dictators. Let's get rid of them too. You could make a pretty long list of the sicknesses, the diseases, the things that when the kingdom of God is here, that God is going to change. And there is some truth to that. Because when Jesus came establishing the kingdom of God in our midst, things did change. Here's what we see. Jumping ahead to Matthew chapter 11. Again, Matthew is reminding us, this is all kind of within time, a tight time frame. He's going to remind us that John is in prison and he's asking some questions. John sends a messenger or two. He says, ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And so Jesus tells the messengers, go back and report to John. Don't just tell him to take my word for it. I want you to tell him what you hear and what you see with your own eyes and your own ears. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. When Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God, God was literally here and things changed. But here's the thing. If it was entirely Jesus' goal and Jesus' mission to help people with their diseases and their sicknesses and to do that day after day, kind of like a doctor helping people feel better, we would have needed a thousand Jesuses all at the same time to address all the hurt and suffering and death in this world. But there was only one of them because that was not his primary mission or goal. His goal was not to make our world better. Rather, number two, what Jesus changed proved that God is here. His miracles were designed to prove to people God really is here. And that God was going to do something much greater than just cure some diseases and temporarily raise someone from the dead who would just someday grow old again and die again. He had a much bigger mission 
for his kingdom at work. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God makes a person realize God is literally here. He's part of our lives. And where he exists, there will be change. But it's not always the kind of change that we want that we get. Maybe this is why some of you maybe wandered from your faith for a season of life, and maybe some of you have wandered, and you're just kind of here because you're with someone, and you know, you're, you're not totally against God, but you're kind of on the outside. And the question that got you was this. So why haven't more things changed? Why didn't God, if he really is here, why didn't he avoid this bad horrible suffering thing from happening? Why didn't he make the accident not happen? Why did he let evil reign so horribly on this person who did not deserve it? Why did not more things change? And the only way that I know to answer that question is to help bring clarity between the kingdom of God and the alternative. I put it this way. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of me, the kingdom of mankind. The kingdom of God acknowledges the suffering, the sickness, the death, the grieving. It acknowledges it. But it's not worried about treating the symptoms. It's worried about treating what's at the bottom, at the root of it. And we'll get there in a moment. The kingdom of mankind is different. This kingdom is all about me. The kingdom of mankind looks like this. I need to save as much for my retirement so that I can, I'm, I can be happy and do what I want to do. The kingdom of mankind says, I'm just going to conform your behavior to suit my preferences. That's all I need. The kingdom of God is all about his glory. The kingdom of mankind is all about us. Kingdom of God is all about holiness. The kingdom of mankind is all about seeking happiness. And part of our happiness depends on the circumstances of our life being arranged in just the right way to suit us, to fill our needs, to scratch our desires. And it's really exhausting to live in the kingdom of mankind and try to or arrange all of the circumstances so that everything is good. So, why doesn't God change more? Maybe it's because we're expecting him to live in our kingdom rather than us living in his. And even people in Jesus' day missed this. They literally, literally, they literally saw that God was literally here. They witnessed the miracles that Jesus performed and they should have come to the conclusion God's kingdom has come. But there were some people who could not see it because they were so focused on their kingdom and they couldn't see God's. We're going to jump to Luke chapter 17 where we see the Pharisees falling into this. Once on being asked by the Pharisees, this, this is probably the, the worst question they could have asked. This was a, I often tell people, you can't ask a stupid question. They asked a stupid question. This, the Pharisees said, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus must have said, really? <laughs> I've been telling people it's here. I've shown you it's here. God is really here. Things are really changing. And yet they said, well, when's, when's he coming? So Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. 
nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is already among you. It's in your midst. Some translations, you could translate it this way, it's within you. It's not a kingdom by borders. And the Pharisees thought that God's kingdom would be a kingdom with borders, that there would be a literal descendant of David sitting on a throne in a palace who will overcome the Roman occupation and set the Israelites free. And they thought as soon as God's kingdom comes, they will be at the top of the list for heroes of this new kingdom because they were the only ones who got it right. They were conforming their behavior. They looked so good on the outside. And whenever, whenever people saw them, they said, wow, what a good person. What a seemingly holy person. But all they could show was some fruit on the outside. Jesus saw through. He saw the desires, the intents, the selfishness. It's all about me, all about me. And so Jesus had some warnings for the Pharisees, and he has some warnings for people like me and you if we think that our behavior or our way of life is pleasing to God and makes us worthy of his kingdom. Here's what Jesus warned. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not be allowed in. Because when you, when you live in a kingdom of mankind that's all about your happiness, you will never have the kind of holiness required to be in God's kingdom. The two are at odds. There's conflict. There's a very big wall between them. And here's the thing we all have to acknowledge, whether you're a lifelong Christian or maybe you're just looking for God for the first time, the same thing is true of all of us. That God's kingdom is not something we naturally see. It's not something we naturally seek. It is something we are naturally not born into. What we see is a kingdom where you have to put yourself first. A kingdom all about me. And if you show weakness, if you show an other's first attitude, you're only setting yourself up for failure. God's kingdom isn't something we can see. It's not something we can seek. In fact, one day, uh, someone came to Jesus, a guy named Nicodemus, and he's trying to figure figure this out, like, who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? And Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom of God unless God brings you into it. The reason that we're all this way really stems back to Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And this is something to think about this week. We think about the kingdom of mankind being this, you know, broken thing, which it is. It wasn't always that way. In the beginning, the kingdom of mankind was actually in perfect unity with the kingdom of God. There was like one kingdom, one nation where God and man dwelled together. And God told Adam and Eve, here's your job. Rule over the fish of the sea. Rule over the birds of the air. Rule over the animals of the ground. What was, our, what was our initial role? We were rulers. And the earth was our kingdom. And it was good. Until the day that the earth began to rule over us. Adam and Eve brought this new thing called sin into this world, and it thoroughly corrupted the kingdom 
of mankind. To the point where in Genesis 3, God is giving Adam and Eve a list of consequences. This is what your new kingdom will look like. Eve, I'm sorry, but childbearing, not going to be good. You're going to have so much pain and suffering, and there will be conflict within your marriage. He turns to Adam. Because of what you've done, your life will not be easy. Just to survive, you will have to bleed and work every day of your life. And then he sums it up like this in Genesis 3, 19. Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the very ground that your food comes from. Since from it, you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And that was the defining characteristic of the kingdom of mankind. We can shape things and conform things a little bit, but ultimately, this is a kingdom that we have no power over. Death is a part of it. God's kingdom is not something we can even see anymore. Our sin has so separated us from God. And it is certainly not something we seek because the sinfulness in us will not permit us to acknowledge God's law or even attempt to keep it. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the reality that God is literally here, and because he is here, things will change. But God does not change things according to the earthly kingdom, the kingdom of mankind. He he isn't here to set up all the circumstances of your life in such a way that you will be happy. Because as we've said before here at North Cross, I think this is from Pastor Ben, just write this down, I'm quoting Pastor Ben, God is more concerned with our holiness than our happiness, because he is not concerned about making our human mankind kingdom better. He wants to bring us into the kingdom of God. And here's how he does it. It's with what happens within. The Pharisees got this totally wrong. They were very good people. You would love to have one as a neighbor. But it was outward. It was external. They were going through the motions, thinking that their behavior is what made them right with God. But it wasn't. No matter what they did on the outside, sin was unaddressed on the inside. And so that's where God begins his kingdom work. God is literally here. And in you. Not guilting you to change your behavior. But forgiving you to transform your heart. That was a promise he gave in Ezekiel, chapter 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot naturally seek it, but God can make you a part of it. And here's the beauty of God's kingdom. It works so much better. It's it's so much better because you can only conform your behavior to a certain degree, and then who you are ultimately shows. Now, the analogy I often think of is you can, you know, put on a good show, but kind of like a a tube of toilet, not toilet, uh, a tube of... Toothpaste, that's the word I'm working for. Not toilet, (laughs) a tube of toothpaste. When stresses around you squeeze you, ultimately whatever is in you will come out. 
So it is with the sinful heart that's in us. You can put on a good show, but one way or another, what's in you will come out. And so rather than God guilting you, giving you a bunch of laws and rules to say, do this and then we'll be right, God says, I will give you a new heart. And from that will flow a new life. How, How did this happen? When did God's kingdom do this? Well, here's where we find the rest of the story in the life of Jesus. He did not come just to heal people and make them feel better and change the circumstances of their life. He came to ultimately lay down his life as a substitute for yours. Next week, we'll talk about the kind of king he had to be to establish this kingdom. So come back for for part two. But just know that the way to get into this kingdom was by no work of your own. Your entrance, your passport into this kingdom was that God was literally here. Proclaiming to you the good news. That you've been forgiven. And you have a new identity that is centered in Christ. And from that flows the fruits of what it means to be in his kingdom. So number four, the kingdom of God works within you to transform your heart. His kingdom is one that operates by grace and not by guilt. He is the one who determines who you are, and then your behavior reflects that. He begins within. He is literally within you. And that's where his kingdom starts. And so here's my application for you this week, and I'm going to share my application for me this, this, uh, this week too. And I didn't do this for the people who came yesterday on Saturday. Because I'll, I'll be honest, um, I, saw, I saw this on TikTok. <laughs> I saw another pastor um, use a, an illustration that was similar. A different context, different idea, but I thought it fit well for this. So how many coffee drinkers do we have in the room? Yeah, some of you are just holding it up, yeah. And I'm just curious, how many of you actually liked the taste of coffee the very first time you had it? Like someone handed you a big black cup of coffee and you tasted it and you liked it? How many of you? Okay, so not many of you started drinking it because you liked the taste. But for me, I had had, um, coffee a few times in my life. The, The day I started drinking it every day of my life was after Amy and I got back from our honeymoon. We went to Mexico and it was an all-night flight back, and then I had class the next day because I was in the seminary, and I'm such a good person, I didn't want to skip class. And so I drank coffee, and I'm like, "Woo! I could do this every day. And so I did. <laughs> and it's been an everyday thing for me, which is fine. There's actually health benefits for coffee. But, you know, you, you kind of think of coffee, and it's, it's good, as long as you drink it right. You can do all sorts of things with, with coffee. You can put creamer in it. You can put sugar in it. You can do the, I don't even know all the different things that Starbucks and Caribou does to it, but you got all those different you know, shots you can add to it. But kind of think about the kingdom of God as a you know, cup of coffee where it makes you feel good. I'm sorry, kingdom of mankind. Did I say kingdom of God? See, I didn't do this last night, so I'm just doing this for the first time. And I did practice a few times before you got here, so I might be a little shaky, but mm. coffee is good. Um, it makes you happy until it doesn't. 
<laughs> you drink too much of it, and it can mess with you. And you look through life, and you can see all sorts of things that kind of make you happy in the moment. you got to raise at work. Ooh, that feels good. Someone says they love you. Oh, that feels great. All the circumstances of your life are kind of filling in nicely. Oh, that's awesome. Um, the kingdom of, of mankind is more about the, the happiness that we can get. And you know why we often turn back to the kingdom of mankind and depend on it so much? It's because it works. And the kingdom of mankind is kind of like you, you can take alcohol and, and drink it or drugs and take those. And you know why you keep going back to them? Because they give you a sense of happiness. You know why pornography is, is such an issue and why it's so hard to get rid of it and for those who struggle with it, why you keep going back to it. It's because it offers you a sense of happiness. It almost changes the way you, you see yourself, the, the way you see the world, but you know it's short-lived. In the kingdom of God, I mean, that's like lemonade. That's the good stuff. The guy I saw actually used orange juice, but I didn't have any orange juice, so. Oh, lemonade is refreshing. You're forgiven. Mm. That lasts. You have hope from God. You have a substitute from your sin. You have joy. You have all the fruits of the Spirit. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that last. But here's what we often do. Here's what I find myself doing. So here's, okay. You take the kingdom of God, which is perfect, and then what do we do? Might not be happy at the same time. And so we take the idea we can be loved and forgiven, but then we also mix in, it's all about me, it's all about me. And Oh, <laughs> that is not good. The two do not mix. The aftertaste is the worst. <laughs> and I think of the way I parent, and I, I want my kids to know they're loved and they're forgiven, and it's unconditional because it is. But then I pour in, just be quiet. Just stop shouting. I want to conform because that's what suits me. Think of the way I can view finances. To the glory of God, thank you, God, for this gift. Thank you for every meal. Thank you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. But then I let my hunger for wealth or my hunger for food dominate. And I find my happiness from that. And I'm blending the two together. What does it look like for you? You know God loves you. You know he forgives you. There's peace, there's joy. But then at the same time, you're taking elements from the kingdom of this earth and you're adding it in because you think it'll make it better. But it never does. So my encouragement for you is to evaluate your operating system. Which kingdom are you in? Are you in a kingdom that's about arranging the circumstances of your life in a way that pleases you and makes you happy? Or are you in the kingdom of God that's all about his holiness and his glory? And where do you find yourself blending the two together? Because no matter how long you've been a Christian, you will blend these two together to some degree. And it never works out well. 
Is it your role as a parent? You have unconditional love, but at the same time, there are conditions. Is it in your career where you give your best and you work for God, but at the same time, you need something in return? The way you view finances. Is it in your marriage? Is it in your future marriage? Where you're blending these two things together. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is that he is literally right here. And things will change in here. And so how fitting that as Jesus began his ministry, he came out with the message, repent. For the kingdom of God has come near. This is a kingdom that he brought you into through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus wanted people that he talked to, he wants people today to receive the full, undiluted joy of what he came to bring. His kingdom is at work in you. And no matter how deluded you've become, you haven't run so far that he can't heal. So as you walk out today, what is the kingdom of God? What does it mean? What does it mean to be in it? It means God is literally with you. And he is within you to transform your heart to be part of a new kingdom by grace. I hope you can come back next week. The rest of this series, we're going to see that this has implications in so many parts of life. And next week, we're going to look at the kind of king it took to establish this kind of kingdom. Let's close today with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, there are several passages in, in your scriptures that talk about this, this tension that we have, that while we are in this world, we are not of it. Thank you for giving us eyes to see the reality of our situation. And when you gave us eyes, it's not that you gave us some special gift or ability, but you just gave us your words to highlight how the kingdom of this world is broken. It can make us happy, but its happiness does not last. And so you established a new kingdom in our midst, one that we can't see or point to because it's a kingdom that begins in our hearts. You transform what is within so that it can overflow into our lives. Thank you for sending your son to establish this new kind of kingdom. Thank you for the gift of your spirit whose presence in our hearts testifies about who we are. We are no longer defined by our sin. We have been declared holy fit for your kingdom because of what Jesus did for us. Help us to see who we are on a daily basis and help us to live in your kingdom to your glory and for the benefit of the people around us. Bless us this week as we give some thought into how maybe we've been mixing the two kingdoms together and give us the grace and the forgiveness to walk forward in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.